Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Forgive me for running off the fine and the one thing I have to do Welcome, everybody, to the Washed Up Needle Podcast. Uh, special guest today is Mr. Bob Nana, guitarist, singer, musician um, for the band Braid. You also know him from Hey Mercedes, Friction, and Jack and Ace, uh, all the way from Chicago. Bob Nana, thank you for coming. Hey, thank you for having me. <laughs> Glad we were able to finally get together and do it. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I want to just start off again Thank you for doing this. It's great to uh, have you a part of this as, you know, one of the bands that um, people kind of mention um, when they mention emo and they mention those um, bands. And going back early, what what got you into music? Was it an older brother? Was it Maximum Rock and Roll? Like, yeah. what, what was that first thing? The first thing I think what's crazy is my family uh, wasn't crazy about music. I mean... There really wasn't a lot of music in the house, but it was really my, my neighbors. Uh, they had a, a kid who's my age, so, you know, we just hung out all the time growing up, and they had a, a jukebox in their basement, and I just was crazy about this jukebox. And uh, their, uh, his parents were crazy about music, too, but he was crazy about sports. So it was like they mixed up kids or something at the hospital. So, like, uh, they just noticed that I was just in love with the jukebox. They loved the Rolling Stones. And so, you know, that was around, um, you know, early, early 80s. So we were watching, you know, Friday night videos and, you know, seeing like Mick Jagger and stuff. And I, it was just, it was all, I mean, it was all over for me. I was just completely hooked. I constantly was over there listening to music. And then, um, you know, thankfully enough, my family was like, we need to get this kid some piano lessons or something. <laughs> yeah, so they did. And, um, yeah, that that was really it. I mean, that was I was really, really young when I realized I just had this in me. I had to play music and loved it. And so you started with, with piano? Well, you know, that, that was like... Your parents' wishes? Was, 
Yeah, well, I mean, and, and I'm glad they did that because it really taught me a lot. Even at the time, I hated practicing. I, 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 I mean, I, I hated a lot of the theory stuff about it. I was just trying, you know, like, you know, get this, you know, I don't care about writing, you know, or, or scales or anything. I just want to, like, play and write my own songs or something. But, but you know, in the end, I'm glad I, um, I'm glad I was able to do that. But, uh, yeah, and then it was drums were pretty much the first instrument I played in a band. And that was uh, that was in high that was in high school. And was that awesome? I mean, that first practice with everybody, and you're trying to work out songs. And what did you guys do? Covers first to kind of feel each other out. What was some of the? Well, yeah, the first band uh, I was in was called Slap Happy, and you know we were just crazy, stupid kids. So yeah, it was a lot of covers. We uh, we played Louie Louie a lot. It was just like the easiest covers we could do, and uh, so. You know, just sort of testing the waters with, you know, what sounded good and what uh, what people what people were into and what we were comfortable doing too. Are there any recordings of that? Because I think that would be fascinating. Sadly, there's one. We were on one uh, seven-inch comp. Uh, the comp was called "The Decline of the Western Suburbs." <laughs> Don't find this song. Okay, I won't. I promise. <laughs> no, whatever. I don't sing on it, but uh, I am playing drums. Yeah. The song's called Gangway. Nice. Good luck. Good luck finding that one. <laughs> All right, anyone out there that finds it, um, I will, I don't know what we'll do, but yeah. <laughs> congratulations. Oh, man. Um, with the, you know, with, with the Stones and, and that kind of thing, was it something that you felt that you could play multiple instruments? Like, you're like, I can, wow, I, I want to play drums, I want to play guitar, I want to sing. <laughs> No, no, not really, because of the fact that it was sort of built, it was the Stones, it was like, they were playing on TV, they were in my friend's jukebox, like, they were completely untouchable, I mean, they were in magazines and stuff, but um, it was uh, when I was in high school and sort of started hanging out with, like, the punk kids and started going to local shows and seeing that there were people, my peers, you know, at, you know, age... 15, 14, we're like playing shows in basements and stuff that, you know, it, it was then that I realized, well, shit, I could actually do this in front of people, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, were, that was it. Were your parents cool about you kind of doing the shows or starting playing? My, I, my parents were completely against most of this. Really? Uh, yeah, they were like, I don't know why you're playing this music. Like, you, you need to, why are you out on a Friday night and a Saturday yeah. night? And was it kind of, they knew where you were going and that was okay? Or Yeah, um, they were pretty upfront with me about it. They uh, they, they were totally cool with how I even practiced at, at my house. And I, I mean, I played the drums. It was loud. I'm sure yeah. it was just, just hell for them. But... Um, no, they were cool with it. All they, they really, really cared about was me finishing school and getting a degree. And they're like, that's all you all we want you to do. Otherwise, go crazy, tour, play music. We, we, we support you on this. Just, just do us this one favor. We let you practice here. Just go to school, finish school. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's what I did. Nice. And then do you remember the um, first record that you ever owned? Like you went and bought? Um. I don't remember the actual record. I mean, I remember having like, a bunch of 45s when I was uh, very, like, very small. I remember having like an Elvis Presley 45. I remember having like an ELO uh, 45, the song Rock and Roll is King, uh, from like the early 80s. But I do remember very specifically the first CDs I bought. 
uh, and those were Death Leopard Hysteria and um, John Cougar Mellencamp, The Lonesome Jubilee. That is a fantastic double shot right there. Well, <laughs> Hysteria is uh, just a classic record. Classic. Lonesome Jubilee, not as much, but still pretty good. Was it the, uh, I was just thinking about um, the first kind of records that I'd had and with um, the Beastie Boys passing, uh, I remember thinking, I got Check Your Head as like the BMG 12 for one. Um, oh, of course. Yeah, that Columbia house and all that. Yeah, so I yeah, was like, I think, that. yeah, I was like, think, and I think Hysteria came like with all those, the, all those CDs. Um, yep. But the, what, a, what a scam. What, what a, a scam. scam that was. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, the, I, I was, you, but you, but you thought you're like, all I have to do is tape a penny to this. I'm good I to know. go. <laughs> Hats and then off. they just send me stuff. I don't even have to ask for it. <laughs> we were dumb. Uh, I know. And then uh, was there? Do you remember your first kind of show? Was it was it a basement show? Was it uh, this is like a first show you attended, like a friend brought right. you or something? Was there anything that any you know was. Uh, Fugazi there and you had no idea or something yeah. awesome yeah, yeah. Uh, probably you know echoing a lot of the people you've interviewed already the, the, there are two uh, shows in particular that were I, I saw very very early on and one was Fugazi and I remember the date because it's my birthday six, it was 6-14-1990 um, at, at a place called Medusa's here and um What's crazy is Trent, this band Trenchmouth opened and the drummer of Trenchmouth's Fred Armisen. But, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was just completely life-changing. Like, that, that show was just incredible because it was a big, big show, bigger than any show I'd been to previous, and it felt so uh, so comfortable, so, like, intimate, even though it was a huge show. But for, for part of the show, they... Like brought people on stage to play their instruments. It was just complete madness. Um, and I, you know, I, I looked on the Fugazi. Um, you know, they have that live archive. I don't think they have this show re- recorded and up yet. Because when it's when it's up, I'm, I want it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, the two shows that I went to, they're they're not up yet either. I was like, wait. Yeah. <laughs> now the the funny thing, the Trench Mob. I was fascinated yeah. when he did the Fist Fight in the Parking Lot song for the SNL skit. Yeah. And I have the seven inch. I bought it from Drag City, and supposedly yeah. he's around my neighborhood. And I'm tr- I've been like hoping that I see him and be like, can you hang on like five minutes? I got to go get my seven inch. <laughs> yeah, I saw. I, you know, when when he was here and before he like kind of blew up um i had spoken with him a few times so um i don't know if i you know if we know each other but i saw him recently um i was in new york and i went to an snl show and i went to the after party and i saw him and i had to stop him and i, I was like hi you know I, whatever and I, I i've met you a few times from blah 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 but i just wanted to let you know that i saw trench off play on 6 14 1990 with fugazi and it like just changed the course of my life and he's like it it changed the course of mine too like wow. he, he was just he remembered that he's like i totally remember that show and it was very special for for all for us too see now you were totally scared going up and you're thinking god i'm gonna meet this guy he's gonna blow me off and then he gave you the best answer well because i'm <laughs> yeah because, yeah because i'm going up talking about the fugazi show from 1990 that it's, we were both at yes <laughs> like, true not, i'm yeah i'm not talking about i don't know his Obama impression or something. Yeah, which know. is, I think, great. That was so. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Dude's hilarious. <laughs> um, 
and then you know learning about bands like from that was it was it the very catalog was it the back of the cd um seeing who thanked who what were some of the yeah. things that you kind of learned to find more bands definitely zines definitely maximum rock and roll at that point in time was like the way and it was reading all the columns reading all the interviews and articles and like the scene reports that they used to do um to see what was going on in like Austin and what was going on in Berkeley and blah blah blah. And but what was crazy about it is my friend and I would get the National Rock and Roll and just, just comb it, completely comb it for um ads for records that we wanted or thought we might want. Like I rem- I remember so remember all the the Discord ads were so I don't know, iconic in the um, in the in the maximum rock and rolls, and like we would just just pull our money and order stuff from every every magazine. Like you you'd get an ad in there, and we would we would buy it if it looked cool. Wow. So then, yeah, and, and, and then yeah. from that, was it all right? All the Discord stuff I got to get. I have to get all the Pretty quarter much. stick because I figured you know Pegboy and those kind of things were around then too. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty much. It was all Discord and Lookout was stuff. We were just buying all all that stuff, like Sam I Am and, you know, the first Green Day records and mm-hmm. 15 and, well, Jawbreaker too, but like, yeah, and then Discord. It, yeah, basically anything that came out on Discord, we were buying. And, and it was awesome because we were kind of, you know, opening up to new music, like Shudder to Think. When we first heard Shudder to Think, we were like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and, you know, it turned out that we ended up, like, really getting into it and really liking it. And, uh, you know, so it's awesome that that, that was the case. And there's a, there's a record store here called Reckless that we used to just frequent all the time. And same thing, I, I would just go through the seven inches and just pick out stuff that I liked and buy it. I, I would just buy it. Wow. And it, it yeah. was, you know, it was all about the artwork too. It was For like, sure, you, uh, it's it's it should have a really cool thing on the front. You can't be minimal. Like you need to get me. So it was like marketing right there. Just your your image. <laughs> it's true. It's so funny because you know all of the bands that were probably in that bin, you know, were probably like, you know, fuck, fuck marketing, and we're doing this DIY. But in reality, it's just it's just like the same old thing. You know, they're selling themselves i mean we that's the same thing i, I was so drawn to the ads mm-hmm. <laughs> Max, i needed new music you know, it's just kind of funny yeah i just remember going through the cds and seeing who they thanked and being right like, i remember you i heard you talk about that and so, i just i just it just seems like you were kind of doing it in the 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 same sense where all right i see this ad it looks cool i'm buying it i trust maximum rock and roll i trust that the advert you know this advertisement is legit and mm-hmm. it's that soul, whole trust thing um, yeah, and then from from that, you know, finding out all these bands and those influences kind of turning into what had a few of the bands. I think you know, Friction, and then obviously mm-hmm. into Braid. And you, I think I read that you had found you know the first drummer through Maximum Rock and Roll. Yep. Which yeah, is, which is great. yeah, yeah, definitely. I um, yeah, because I graduated high school and then I went to college at, in Champaign Urbana. And immediately wanted to start a band, but I didn't want to bring my drums. And I, I had this sort of junky guitar that a, a friend's dad had given me, and I brought that along. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to play guitar now. <laughs> and yeah, just put put the ad in the. Well, it wasn't it wasn't even a classified for looking for a drummer. I think I was at the time I was trading videos of bands playing, 
and um, this guy Roy, uh, I think I think it might have been a Fudgeworth video or something. Uh, yeah, he wanted to trade for it. He had some video of a, of a band playing in Champagne, and we hooked up. And I'm like, hey, I'm actually going to be there. Let's hang out. And he's like, I play drums, and that that was pretty much it. And starting, you know, Braid was it was it Jawbreaker? Was it Fugazi? That was sort of the the sort of mindset because I didn't grow up in the Midwest and I think I'm mm-hmm. just, I'm so fascinated just that little subset of the yeah. scene and what kind of came from it and the bands. And can you kind of talk a little about of like obviously starting braid, but then yeah. all the bands around it kind of swirling all sort of had the same mentality. Yeah, absolutely. John Baker and Fugazi without a doubt were like the, the, the bands for, for us and sort of guided any, thing we tried to do um it was like the 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 really kind of confessional straightforward um lyrics of jawbreaker with like the sort of angular crazyish guitar music of fugazi and sort of the the angst for lack of a better word uh, of fugazi too so it was that 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 was sort of directing what we were doing musically and everyone else in the scene. You mentioned like, you know, all the other bands. There was this, this band Gage. There was Captain Jazz, of course. There were a lot of bands in the western suburbs of Chicago at that time that were all sort of helping each other out and playing that that sort of similar music. Uh, and so, yeah, once we started writing songs, it was like that was just what came out yeah it, it totally makes sense and i know you said it but like just hearing you guys and what you did it wasn't it wasn't straight ahead but it was it, you still heard like hooks but it wasn't like the verse chorus verse it was right. one little part and i think um i think so many bands um you know gravitated toward that after um and sort of took it and you guys you yeah. know, obviously took it from somewhere else um and then re- was there in the scene relationships was it you know were you hanging with the hardcore bands were you hanging with you know the punk bands then it didn't really matter or did you kind of see like okay well that band sounds like us we should be friends or as you were starting yeah. playing more what was was there any thing with that it, there really wasn't too much cross genre stuff a little bit i mean because we we're in the suburbs we would occasionally end up playing shows with like um one of the like a victory band back there in fact my first show ever and Victory was a different label back then. It was way more straight-edge hardcore. But uh, my first band ever, it was a slap happy played Tony Brummel's house. Like, he used to do shows at his house. And we opened some show. It was my very first show ever. And I, I don't know the date. I, I have it written down somewhere. But so, I mean, I guess in that sense, there was that sort of cross-scene sort of thing going on. But when we were setting up our, our own shows at... Um, uh, VFW halls and spaces, or when we were playing, there was there was a club there called McGregor's uh, that was like the place to play. If you, you know you were touring band coming through Chicago, you wouldn't play the city; you'd play McGregor's. It was in Elmhurst, so it was like the dude who was booking there would put uh, us like uh, Braid or not Braid at that time was Friction, but like Cat and Jazz on, you know, uh, opening for you know, Sam I Am, if they were coming through, or Jawbreaker, or like, you know, Smoking Popes would play there too. Uh, but, you know, we weren't really playing with like Screeching Weasel when they played there, or the Vindictives, because uh, they, weren't, they, they weren't really, 
you know, our, our scene or our, well, the crowd was exactly the same at these shows. I mean, I loved Screeching Weasel, so we were always at the shows, but for some reason we didn't end up playing with those bands a lot. It didn't happen until we started going on tour that we started playing with, like, more hardcore bands or mm-hmm. more, or just different sounding bands. And then touring, uh, obviously early, early on, um, there wasn't the buses, there wasn't the, any, you know, Kate, what were some of those feelings that you see now, you know, you're touring maybe with, hey, Mercedes later on, or those, what were some of those differences that you were like, God, I wish I knew that, or um, any anything from that? I just feel like the, like a band like you guys early on, it's, it is the five guys at the show, and then the next yeah. time you come through, it's 10 and 20, right. and now it's so much easier to get your name out before you even play a show, and you guys were doing this dirty work. It's true. It's true. But I mean, I guess there's there's still dirty work now. I guess it's just a little. It's a little more sitting by your computer doing the dirty work instead of like grinding it out. But I, you know, I didn't mind that at all because I love traveling so much and and just hanging out and seeing meeting other people and stuff. You know, when we started um, touring, it was just like a drive. I mean, we wanted to be out touring all the time. So when when uh, Chris and I were on spring break or something, we were immediately were on tour and there were there were times where we were playing like over you know almost 200 shows a year because we were just touring 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 and you know we you know it, it helped us become a, a better live band and um got us out in front of more people but yeah, i mean the first you're, you're right the first tour we, the first west coast tour we did i remember we played um uh a place called al's bar in la and nobody came. There was zero. Wow. Zero, zero paid attendance. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it was a little discouraging, but. No, I uh, meant awesome very, 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 very sarcastically. That just, yeah. but you like roll up, you're like, Los Angeles, we're going to kill it. And the guy, the bartender. Um, was, uh, I feel the, you know, with you guys and playing all those shows, when did you kind of. Were you sitting in the van and driving, and you're like, "This is going to last for a bit," you know? I mean, everyone seemed to work together. I mean, there were changes yeah. in bands, but the overall, like you and Chris, I feel like, when did you kind of feel that it's obviously still going on? You know? <laughs> yeah. No, you know, it never really crossed. It, it really didn't cross our minds. We were just, we were just doing it. It wasn't like, "Hey, this is going to, we're going to do this forever." Um, we just loved doing it, and we had this sort of nonchalant, uh, very unorganized way of touring and recording. I mean, when we were at home, we would just go to our friend's house and practice a little bit, and he had the recording set up, so we would just record some stuff, and then, you know, we would book a tour, and, you know, you know, Todd, uh, the bass player, would, um, you know, get on the phone and, and book shows and stuff, but I, I don't know. We were just psyched to, to be doing it. I mean, we, yeah, there wasn't really a point in time when, you know, we we like sat back and thought, "Hey, this is really working." You know, I, yeah. I, at least for me, I I didn't, I never really felt that way. Well, and I think too, that's maybe coming from the right place where it wasn't like you got in the van and you're like, well, "All right, we're going to do this, and then we're going to add lights, and then there's going to be strippers on stage." It was just <laughs> we're going to we're going to play the music and and go, and and I think that's partly why I think you guys are put in those top ten lists, those top 
you know, whatever it is and always brought up, um, in the same little pocket, um, because of that, because it was, yeah. you played so many shows, you were out there, you were doing it. And, um, I, I, I personally think that's partly why, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, yeah, it's just sort of looking up to all the, the people that we were, the bands we were playing with were all doing it too, bands like Epic Drive-In and Hot Water Music and Get Up Kids. Like, the first time we, we played uh, El Paso was with Epic Drive-In, and they were about to go on, a, like, a six-month tour. I don't even think they had a record out. Wow. And we were just like, wow, you guys are nuts. <laughs> but, but awesome, having an awesome time. Same with this band Super like Johnny from here. I remember them just being like, yeah, we're going to go, you know, on a six-month tour, and then we're going to Europe for, like, a month. They, don't, they didn't have any records, didn't have any music out. I was just like, wow. Yeah, you know, awesome, but... <laughs> I was lucky to see Sweep the Leg Johnny. They played uh, in Vermont, and uh, I bought both records. I forget. I don't yeah. know. I, and it was they were so different. Um, oh yeah, and just I don't know, so different from every other hardcore band that I was seeing and at that damn venue. And it was actually something different. So yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. When was the first time you heard the dreaded word, the emo? Oh, uh, emo. It was a lot. I mean, it was pretty early on, and at the time, you know. At the time we were hearing it, I was throwing it around like anyone else, even in describing what we were doing, because it meant to, to us, or the way it was being thrown around, it sort of meant Jawbreaker and Fugazi. Like, mm-hmm. if, if Jawbreaker and Fugazi are emo, then count us in. We <laughs> want to be emo. You know, or, or like Hoover was another band that we yep. just really tried to emulate. It's like emo, 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 count us in. And then, but there was also bands from like, you know, San Diego, like, um, Spanak Corzo and, uh, Swing Kids and stuff that were very screamy, but they were called emo too. So it just seemed like just this general term that, I don't know, it was like no one, everyone knew what it was, but no one could really describe it. But it, I, I mean, yeah, like I said, at the time we were embracing it, <laughs> you know, we, we, we dug it. Yeah, I, I thought it it came, for me, it came from a screamo kind of part, where I was like, they're screaming, but it's kind of melodic, and mm-hmm. it's heartfelt, and then it kind of turned, you know, pop, and what, what you know, relative terms pop, but it started, right. you know, and there was like a second wave, third wave, and um, were there, I mean, you've mentioned a bunch of bands, um, you know, that people, um, I'm sure, are writing down and stuff for to, to <laughs> listen to, because that, that's what this, you know, I feel, you know, mentioning those bands from San Diego or Sweep to Lake Johnny, yeah. like, those were those were bands were around and obviously, you know, um, didn't really, didn't really connect on a larger scale, um, throughout time. Um, and I think with, with you guys and when did it kind of, where did you guys see that scene and you emo and yeah, we're totally part of it. And then was there a day where you're like, Oh hell no, no, no. Well, a little bit, the one turning point that, that sticks out in my mind very, uh, you know, clearly is um, Maximum Rock and Roll at one point did this sort of purge where I guess Tim, the the founder of Maximum Rock and Roll, just one day said, no more emo in Maximum Rock and Roll. And, you know, it was just like, this is a punk magazine uh, scene, like, it should be punk, punk, punk. And 
at the time, I think Kent McCard was a um, was a was a one of the columnists, and so he was like, "Well, that sucks." And then so he started heart attack, that zine heart attack, yep. which is which I think was a direct result of Max from Rock and Roll sort of shunning this whole genre of music. Interesting. Um, yeah, and so it was at that point in time where I thought, like, what? Wait a minute, like why do people hate this? I, I don't, I just don't, I, I, I didn't get it at the time. Or why does this person hate it? Why do like punk, what do punk kids have against emo? Because emo at the time, it was like punk. Like, yeah. This is just, this is just all punk, you know? So yeah, that was really, I think the turning point where I was like, huh, like are people, is there like this, there's a backlash. So yeah. And then it just, it sort of got worse and worse and sort of had these, you know, little factions um, that uh, came. And then what's crazy is I remember Heart Attack wouldn't review your record if there was a UPC code on it. Wow. Like, yeah, it's just like, and then you're like, oh, you're starting the scene, but you're just going to embrace everything. But, but you can't you have your own little code. crazy rule, too. So it's just like, oh, this, this sort of sucks. But, yeah. And then going through it, I mean, you're obviously the Get Up Kids and, you know, Sunny Day, all these bands were kind of coming yeah. and going. And um, I think each band had a different feeling toward it. And some of them were completely like, we're an indie band. We're at and, yeah. and they're all, but for some reason, this still stayed together and it still was connected. Do you, do you have any insight on why it, you know, it was there? It went away. People went away, and then now it's 2012, and it's the year the year of the reunion. And is sure. it is it is it everyone's older, and they kind of are they don't? I, I I'm in my 30s, so I don't care anymore. Yeah. You know, I will go see you know Ani DeFranco if I want. I don't care. Like, sure. well, is that what do you think? Um, I see a little bit like the the reason why you know one of the reasons Braid. Uh, got back together was that I, I reconnected with Chris. I really hadn't even talked to Chris for a, there was a span of maybe three years, three or four years where we just completely lost touch and then we got back in touch and then started doing these DJ nights together and then we're like, we should, you know, we're doing sort of like a punk emo DJ night. Does mm-hmm. that sound, sound familiar? Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, so we, you know, we're playing and we're every, or once a week at this bar here and thinking like, you know, we should, what if we got together and just tried to write some braid songs? It might be fun. Um, and so that was really where that came from. But, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, all the reunions and stuff, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think definitely the internet has a lot to do with it. Um, because, of how easy it is for bands to get their music out. And also there's, there's sort of like a new school of labels coming out now that, uh, uh, sort of are catering to a, like a similar sort of scene than that we were a part of way back when I'm, and I'm thinking of, of uh, labels like top yeah. shelf yeah. or no sleep or something where it's like, these, like the bands, at least the ones I've, I've seen, and I'm not an expert on the new bands by any means, but like they're playing house shows. They're yeah. going on tour and they're grinding it out and they're doing their sevens. They're screening their own shirts. They're screening. This is so familiar. It's like, yeah. it's all the same. It's, it's the exact same thing again. I mean, it's cool. Um, and, but you know, it's, it's a new crop of, of kids that, 
have learned how to use the the tools available to them now, like the internet and you know MP3s and all that and digital stuff to revive that sort of DIY feeling. And uh, I know it's 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 a cool it's a cool scene. I'm gonna go to a house show later this month and nice. check it out. Yeah, but it's, it's that. It, <laughs> and they're like, they're like, who's dad? Who's dad is this? Yeah. Get that out of here. Do you? Uh, I was thinking about that too. With there's a, obviously during the time in the bands and Braid and Hey Mercedes, you're getting you know stopped or say hey what's going on. Now are you stopped like at the grocery store or something with the guys got the stroller and the two kids and he's saying hello because it's at that, that time you know. Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> oh de- yeah. De- uh, yeah. I mean, de- definitely. All my a ton of my friends. Uh, you know, have families from back then. I mean, Todd has has a uh, a, a daughter now, and um, Damon's got a son. But like, yeah, I mean, everyone's grown up. I'm 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 getting there. I'm getting yeah. there. I'm not totally there, but I'm I'm getting there too. But yeah, you're you're right. I mean, all of the the, the people that um, were coming out to shows and doing shows for us and now have families and and kids and stuff, but. They're still they're still coming out and, and, and I think and that's talking. yeah I I joked at the Promise Ring show that every uh, there's a lot of people here with babysitters you know going on and yeah. and not that that's a bad thing and I just kind of thought ahead like 20 years like is there going to be a you know an amphitheater or something where it's you know the sounds of emo you know and then all the bands come out and there's <laughs> one remaining member I I just it's just I, it's yeah so we'll f- do like state fairs or something the well, it's like the state fairs, you know, oh, yeah. like how Sticks and like uh, Forna and yeah. all, the, you know, all those bands play like state fairs now. Yeah. Tom, get on this. Get on this. That's what I'm saying. That's that's why I'm trying to get everyone's mindset to be like, you can't go anywhere. Like the the thing I noticed too is that people went to that show and they 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 were like, this is my one night out. And I think yeah. they they connected to it in such a positive way, and for them to say, "I'm going to go out to this, and I'm going to see this, and I'm going to support it," and it must feel good because there's kids like the I saw Maritime play, and there was a kid yelling um, "Red and Blue Jeans" at him the whole night. And <laughs> I think I've told the story before, but yeah. Davey wasn't mad. And long story short, he, he they played New York. I bet that kid was there. And yeah, and that you know to me was like he went yelling maritime songs. Yeah, yelling maritime songs now. <laughs> Pray yeah. to punk rock T-shirts, but yeah, uh, but just that whole thing of where they're they're reliving it and they're in their own way and wanting to connect. And I just from your stand, vantage point, why? Yes, there's the metal community that's still around. There's a lot of um, you know uh, genres, but it it's still so strong with so many people and I get people hitting me up, you know, about, Hey, you should interview this guy. I haven't talked about them in a while. Or just, I feel like if they threw out all their CDs, they kept 10 and for some, or they kept their iTunes and it's still this genre. And, um, I'm just trying to still figure out in my head why that happened and why it's still so prominent today. Yeah, well, I think it was just a formative time for a lot of people. Like, you, there were all of these bands, like the, the aforementioned, like Thomas Ring and Jimmy World at the time, it were, that were like touring, touring, touring. You would, you would go and see these bands, and they were right there. There was no barricade or anything. After the show, you could go talk to them, you could go hang out with them. You, maybe they were staying at your house. 
you just develop this bond with 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 certain bands that just doesn't exist when you're you know that I didn't have with Mick Jagger. You know what I mean? Like so the it just it lasts. So I mean, even if you don't listen to your promising record all the time, you, you don't want to sell it because it just it reminds you of this really great time when they you know, you went to see them play, you sang along, you went, you took them out to eat and they stayed at your house or, or, or whatever. And then, you know, they they thank you in it or something. You know, it's like it it's it was just touched people differently, I think. So Yeah, I didn't really think about that, about the sort of the the, the, the moment in time and when you said barricade, like yeah, there wasn't a barricade. There was you could go up to them after and yeah. and at that time when you were trying to figure out what you wanted to listen to and, and play. Sure. So and now with twenty twelve it's there's a few bands that I, you know, talk about and I'm like, Hey, so what, what bands do you like? And they've mentioned every band from like nineteen ninety eight. and so it's this obviously 10-year, 15-year sort of loop. Um, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I hope, I would hope that bands, you know, that, that sort of the, the kids that are into the bands now will come see us play, too. I don't want to play to, you know, a bunch of 37-year-olds like me. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think that's maybe, happening. Maybe, maybe I do. <laughs> I said that. They have all the money. right exactly but it is it is that it's the it's them finding and saying wait a minute oh wait they connected to that and that's why i listened to whatever band like i hope that kids are doing that and obviously with this website that's what all i've been trying to do is tell people um about them but i i i do feel when you guys do this tour there will be those younger people um cool uh, i think but if i'm completely wrong i will be out of the venue before (laughs) um Good. I was just thinking about a show that I saw you guys in college, and it's one of those ones you're probably gonna be like, "Oh, I totally remember," and you're lying. It's fine. So we'll I see. I loved to wear the opposite genre T-shirt of a show. So if I was okay. going to a hardcore show, I wore an emo shirt. If I wore right. went to emo, I wore a Converge. I wore a Converge shirt to your show. Okay. I, think, I remember you. I think I got heckled. I think I got what? heckled by me. Someone made a crack about. Hey, look! There's a guy with a converged shirt here, or some, it was some. And my buddy and I were like, "Did we just get heckled by Braid? Because that's pretty cool. Because we're still here." <laughs> I, I, this does not sound familiar. So, where was it at? The Lizard and Snake in Chapel Hill. Do I do remember that place? Was it with Hellbender? No. No. Was it Rainer Maria? I think it was Rainer Maria. I think so. I think there's a video of that show, maybe on. Uh, we should we should we should do some research right now. The actuality of that was a VHS that came out. I think that is playing a song. From... Yes, that tape I am contemplating to put online because I, I either find them from the bifocal guys if they're going to do it or not because yeah. there's so many good performances on that VHS. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that might have been that same show. Might have been. Anyway, it was hilarious. Um, I, well, I'm sorry. I don't no. think it was me. I. No, no, not you. We, we found it hilarious. We were like, "That's awesome!" You know, like they they knew Converge, or, you know, like they at least sure. like, referenced it. Um, so no, that was that was crazy. The um, was there? I think for me there was a procession of braid, and we, I want to move on to Hey Mercedes and kind of sure. um, some other stuff. And I felt you guys. It was always a, I was collecting with you guys. It was, I mm. found out there was a new seven inch or there was a compilation or you're releasing this on this other label. And it was that sort of joy of collecting that you had to kind yeah. of do. Um, was that, was that, 
you know, we're trying to confuse our fans to find everything, or was it was it, hey, oh, you have a label, yeah, we'll do something, or we have. Are you, are you saying that was with the, uh, with Braid or that was Braid, Braid right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it was it was not. Uh, we weren't like putting out any challenge to people. It was more like we even had on our on the Thank You Welfare Boy CD. There was a thing under all the lyrics that said, "We want to be on your comp." <laughs> so, I mean, that was that was it. I mean, we just started to put out stuff whenever anyone asked us to, whenever anyone needed a song for a comp or asked us, we were like, all right, we'll just record the newest song we have and give it to you. Wow. Or split with, with somebody that we'd met or something. Sure. Let's do it. Yeah. It wasn't uh, sort of a conscious effort to confuse people, but yeah. it is, I, I like the fact, excuse me, I like the fact that, um, that there are so many records out there and you, I don't even know if I have them all. And I've, really tried to keep them all but how yeah. did the one with yeah Todd's a record collector so he he's probably to blame for a lot of that <laughs> how did the one with uh, tree records and the postmark stamps comp that's probably one of my favorites I think that kind of mm. was really stoked on when I got it what, any any kind of was it just a hey we, we, we have a comp we want your song was it as simple as that yeah well Ken from tree was doing those postmark stamps seven inches and uh, we had met him around that time or whatever. And I, it was around the time when we were touring a ton with Get Up Kids and he just, yeah, he just basically asked us to do it. And, um, yeah, we were psyched. That dude, he, he now does um, Numero Group. Are you familiar with Numero Group? Oh, it's an awesome label. Um, check it out. They, um, they research and dig up old, like, soul records and old just old forgotten records from like the 60s, seven recordings from the 60s, 70s, et cetera, from different pockets of the U.S. and maybe elsewhere, but, and then just, just do a ton of research, contact the families of these old music- musicians and then re-release their records with like photos and sometimes DVDs. It's, it's really, really cool. That's amazing. It's got a great, great aesthetic and just an awesome story. So yeah, you should check that out. But yeah, that's the dude who used to do Tree. Oh wow! I, I mean, yeah. I work at a similar company that that does that. You know, sort of for um, uh, the scale. So that's great that he does that for those records that are probably going to yeah. be forgotten. Um, yeah. There was a request on Twitter for this for this qu- next question. Um, is there? I know. Is there any backstory to the song "Forever Got Shorter"? Will that? And if not, we can move on. Um. Backstory. Well, I don't. I can't tell you. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying like because I, I won't tell you, but I really don't remember exactly my mind, like what my mind, my mindset was around that time. What's crazy is I probably still have the lyrics, like when I was writing the lyrics, I keep all that stuff because I'm a maniac. But <laughs> um, no, I, I, I really couldn't couldn't tell you and, and then you know when you play it now it's sort of like you think about other things that really weren't the original intent but um no like i really don't know i i know for a fact where i remember where i got the name for the song it was from uh a movie about last night and i, I it's not even like my favorite movie ever. i just thought it was a fun or a yeah. line that rob lowe says he says well forever just got shorter <laughs> or something like and we were going to be awesome. together, well, forever, it just got shorter. <laughs> I love it. And I was like, forever got shorter. That's the song title. That's, <laughs> That's sort of the thing. Like, we were just, had our, you know, ears open for 
Yeah, no. Cool song titles. And it's fine. We're both washed up. You don't have to remember everything. That's fine. That's fine. (laughs) Um, That's why I keep all this stuff. I don't have to remember it. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, I I collect all my tickets. Like, I have pretty much every ticket I've ever went to. Yeah, Um, me too. And what... I guess are, are, we can maybe talk about this offline. Um, are, are we crazy or what's the, I, I wrote down every show that I saw. Like yep. what, what was the, me too. What, uh, is, is there a support group that we could join? What, what is this? <laughs> what, I, <would> you... <laughs> yeah, I don't, I really don't know. It is a problem. We should, you know, we should sort of take it offline and, and, uh, you know, in, in a room, and yeah, exactly. I don't know, but I've always, always had this problem with um, documenting things and listing things out. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to write down the top forty every every um, wow. Sunday. I would get up and listen to it and write it down, and then I would make my own top forty. I have, I still have sheets of like. I don't know, a few months worth of weekly, I would do top 75, like my top 75 wow. of the week. Like, <laughs> and it, like what the, like, clearly, uh, you know, if I, and what was crazy is I kept them to myself. I, I kept them, I kept all this stuff to myself. Like, what the hell is my problem? <laughs> it's, but, you know, it's fun now because I'm, I'm going through all that stuff and, you know, throwing stuff away finally, but it's cool to look at to be like, wow, I loved Kiss Me Deadly by Lita Ford and so much. It was number one on my charts. So like there's and there's a bunch of songs on there like I don't even remember I don't even know some of these songs. So I think I think I'm gonna keep them and sort of track down some of these songs to see like if I was just what the hell was I going through? Those would be really good Spotify playlists. Uh really good is I don't know if I would say they'd be really good. But Interesting. Maybe Interesting. for me. I don't yes. know. Yes. You can make them private. You don't need to make them public. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I've been doing this whole darn time. It's all too private. <laughs> I started scanning um, uh, all a lot of things to digitize and then get rid yeah. of That's been my uh, T-shirts. I did it first. I took photos. Um, cool. And, yeah, so maybe uh, – maybe, maybe I don't know whether it's just like this sort of weird collector sort of gene or error that, like, is in us or, or sort of this, I need to prove that I was there sort of yeah. feeling. But it's so funny because it never comes up. <laughs> it's never like, were you really there? Like, no, <laughs> not, I, I just have all these, you know, this list of shows I went to and stuff. It just. And then the know. same thing with all the Braid shows, correct? All, there's yep. a list of every show. Yep. Same with Hey Mercedes. I have, I'm all, I have all of them listed out. Wow. And with, with, Hey Mercedes, was it you were? Is it we were getting into more melodic stuff? Um, was it like another side to you that you said this is what I kind of want to write? No, not really. It was more or less because you know at the end of Braid, um, we weren't getting along so well with Chris, and you know we just all we mutually decided now we should stop playing shows together, stop doing Braid, and so. Todd and Damon and I still wanted to play together, so we just kept going. And you know, at no point in time did we think, "Well, this is our chance to do X, Y, and Z that we couldn't do in bed." We just started writing songs. So I mean, it's it, if Chris, if we just replaced Chris and Braid, it would it would be basically the next Braid album would be the Hey Mercedes album because it was just it was just what we did. We never 
consciously said, hey, let's do this, this, and this. But it was just, you know, we brought in um, Mark Dallas, and that's what we wrote. Yeah, it Bells uh, is probably one of my favorite songs um, from all, all the songs you put out for it. Mercedes, and I like that it starts out with a breakdown. That's what that's I'm always a big fan <laughs> of breakdowns. So, <laughs> yeah, that was just the uh, just get the breakdown out of the way, right? Pretty away. well, that's the thing. I am a huge, I did a top 10 breakdowns every year on my college radio show, and so I was always really fascinated with where people put the breakdowns. And that song was, I think it's at the start, I think it's fantastic that it just kills it right at the start you, you, you could do a stage dive in the first four seconds of the song which and i encourage i encourage <laughs> so um a few more things just kind of sure uh in the future you know there's been starts and stops through with braid and why why again now i mean you said you were talking to him again was it writing yeah. that ap and now you're like fuck let's do more let's let's tour let's keep doing this yeah it, um even when we were writing the ep we we all were very uh, cognizant of the fact that, like, we like doing this. So, if we can, if we can do it, if we can get together and do it, let's just keep doing it because we work really well together when we get the four of us get in a room, and it's it's fun and you know easy for to an extent to 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 write songs with those dudes. So, uh, yeah, we were always just like, let's you know, do the EP and maybe we can record another EP the next week, next year or do a record or something. And we never really want to, to tour, nor do we want to tour full time, especially like how we, we used to, because we've got, you know, other responsibilities yes. that we, <laughs> but, um, yeah, we just, we just wanted to keep playing. And so, yeah, that was basically it. As soon as, or after we recorded the EP and, um, you know, did those shows, like Chris and I just kept writing stuff. And and I think just, this is, I think, a great thing for people to hear because that's all that I think people want. They just, if you keep playing music, that's like the one thing I tell bands. Like, hey, everybody, really nice to meet you. Keep playing music. And, yeah. and I think for you guys to still do that and there's people still buying it, there's people still going, um, what keeps you guys motivated to do it? Because there, I know there's a ton of people out there that, that love it and yeah. enjoy that you guys are still going and that what else kind of motivates you guys um, to keep doing it? Was it just you guys in a room and it's fun? Yeah, exactly. And it's just this constant need. Maybe it's just this, it's the work ethic that we've all sort of been, you know, that's been drilled into our heads since the day we started playing that it's, like you can't sit still. Like you always got to be making music and writing stuff. I feel that way. I've always felt that way. So any downtime, you know, I was doing scene on film, and there's Jack and Ace now, and uh, certain people I know. Like all these, it was just there was never a point in time where I wasn't writing music because I just had to do it. It, I don't know, it just makes me happy. If I'm not doing it, I'm unhappy. And it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't ma- it almost doesn't matter if I'm recording records or playing shows. I mean, for a long time, I was just writing songs for Threadless, like just kind of quick two-minute songs, because it just made me happy. Mm-hmm. So that's why. I think that's great. I think anyone hearing this is 
and to me too it's that's great to hear because it's coming from that right point and i think throughout all the reunions and stuff there's all these oh why are they coming back it's it's the it's this time and this sure. it's, it's like no it, it you 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 want to do it like you i Texas the reason yeah. Texas the reason reunion. You saw they wanted to be up there. Promise sure. ring. You see Dan losing his mind playing those songs, yeah. and that's why that's why it matters. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, listen, it's, it's not like about money. Like none of us need money. <laughs> like I, we all have jobs. You know, we're all we're all happy. I just, you know, in that sense, we're happy. Like, but I just can't stop doing it. Like even even if no, like I said, even if no one comes, even if we never write another album, I'm still gonna be writing songs, mm-hmm. probably with those dudes, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I meant that it just sometimes people throw that out there, and I'm like, the the situations are so different in each band, and sure. and it, you know, there's obviously never the the true story sometimes never gets out or whatever people right, think right, and right. naysayers can uh, not go and sit at home with their two kids and their wife yelling at them have fun um right, i'm kidding i'm joking <laughs> um looking into the future um anything else that you're super excited about um obviously the show is coming up um for yeah. right. anything else you're super stoked on that people might be interested i in? am there is something um i again because i i just I don't know, I constantly need to be busy with shit all the time, whether it's just like personal things or songs or, or, or whatever, DJing, listening to music, writing music, blah, blah, blah. But um, one thing I'm really excited about that um, I wanted to mention is uh, my friend Mark Rose, who's in the band Spittlefield, and uh, Dan Reed, who he used to do a zine called Rocket Fuel a long time ago. Yeah, he, uh, the, um, hey, you know what, that's, I know, I know that you know that because one of the first washed up email podcasts I listened to, someone mentioned Rocket Fuel, and I told, I, I actually work with Dan here, I told this, I was like, Dan, you gotta listen to it, just talk about Rocket Fuel. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so the three of us are starting this website called Downright, D-O-W-N-W-R-I-T-E, mm-hmm. uh, that it's, you know, it's, it's actually a lot of work to get going, and it's not up yet. But the idea behind it is sort of like feeding, not literally, but like the sort of like crazy need for songwriters to to create and and write. And so what it, you know, basically what we want to create is like an artist-centric custom song shop so that instead of, you know, somebody, like some musician being like, hey, I'll write you a song for 10 bucks or some, some stuff like that, which always felt like dirty to me. And like weird, and I, I just I never liked that. I, what I want to do is create a place where that sort of thing can happen, but it's not. There's no. There's not like a weird stigma because I want the artist to have a little more control uh, in it. Like for instance, um, I could go on and say, you know, I want to. I want to write uh, ten songs about cities or something, or ten. 10 like two minute Ramones uh, or Misfits esque songs or whatever, and then people could basically like sponsor s- songs um, and, and basically do like albums, you know, online albums. Yeah. So, and, and then, but you know, I also want to cater to people who want, who, who need songs for certain situations. Like, uh, you know, if, if Mike Kinsella wanted to be, wanted to say, hey, I'll write um, instrumentals for your. YouTube video or something or, or your 
uh, performance, your your play or something, or whatever. The, you know, there was uh, uh, my friend, our friend Joel, who got married, had Mike do like an acoustic version for him of the song One of These Days that they like walked down the aisle to. Like, I mean, I, I just, I feel like there's all of this opportunity for bands to, to do this and really, con- and, and songwriters to really connect with the fans like in a way that doesn't exist right now. Um, That's a really and, cool idea. Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, it's not up yet. We're still, like, working through all the legal legal junk, but, uh, yeah, I hope we hope to have that launched next month or, or within the next few months for sure. And at that point, you probably, I, I won't really shut up about it. <laughs> it's one of those things where I want, I want this site to exist so I can use it. Yeah. You know? So if, if it doesn't exist, like, let's just make it. You need, you're, you're trying to make fire right now because you need to eat. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> no, I need, I need to, I need to write music. <laughs> um, well, that's great. We'll definitely, um, a link to that when that goes live. And, um, yeah. And, uh, Bob, thank you so much for doing this. Um, as a person to has watched from afar and you know seen you guys live and now this it's like the you you motivate me a little bit just because of how much stuff you're doing and there's obviously this is all outside of my normal you know job kind of things and and for you sure. just to have all Thanks, these things Tom. going on and it's 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 great to have and I think a lot of people are you know are happy that you are motivated because they're interested in what you're doing so <laughs> Thanks man oh, you know that means a lot. It means a whole lot. And I, 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 yeah, I hope people keep creating and keep making music too. Washed up emo fans, thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening and for this current episode you're about to hear. I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com